hotel It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muffins, black and smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome to the Advent Calendar House, a podcast that's actually been produced by a talking cartoon rodent this entire time, which just leaves me with more questions as to why it took so long to get to this special. Join us today as we hop a model train back to 1987 to try and answer the riddle that is a mouse, a mystery, and me. I am tacky suit wearing Don of the Rental Santa Mafia, Mike Westfall. And joining me is 2D animated creature who lives in my purse and may or may not be my conscience. It's Lindy. Hey, Lindy. Hey, my smile is as wide as the shoulder pads in this movie. (laughs) And also here is famous novelist who can spot a fake boot from 100 feet away. It's Emily Rowley. Hi, Emily. Hi, I'm uh, an expert on spats. That's right. That's why we brought you. (laughs) Thank you both for being here. Lindy, this was something you reminded me existed. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is one of those things that just was on that Christmas VHS mixtape of like specials that they would it would come out periodically throughout the year, regardless of the month. And (laughs) I just always remember being perplexed because it's like, was this something else that was linked to another movie or a TV show? It seems so out of place. It always just stuck with me. Yeah, I don't have too much of a history with this one. I guess I my parents didn't tape this one. I know that it aired December 13th, 1987 on NBC right after another special we covered. Tis the season to be Smurfy. <laughs> another classic of mine. No wonder I had it. It was probably back to back. So that's why I got them taped. Probably. Emily, what's your history with watching this? Um, I definitely must have also had it on a VHS tape because I was aware of it, although not as aware I realize now as I thought I was because I remembered very little of the actual plot. But I also remember many, many years ago uh, when we were putting together like a best Christmas specials list, I sent this to you and this would have been 20 years ago almost now. Yeah. And one, I don't know what that is. And two, I can't find anything about it because we are dinosaurs of the Internet. And this was pre-YouTube. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I didn't watch this as a kid and it didn't end up on that old list. No, that is hidden away and destroyed forever, hopefully. But I want to say that's when I first heard about it. My parents didn't tape this one, but I guess enough other parents must have. And that's the only explanation I have for this being so beloved for so long by the people who had it. It's that Smurfs lead in, man. I guess that's all it was yeah, that helped yeah. stick it out. <laughs> that must be how it ended up being preserved and remembered as well as it has. People taped the Smurfs, saw this coming up next and decided to keep rolling. Cause I don't think this ever aired again after that. Probably not. <laughs> but 1987 was that sweet spot where enough people had VCRs and that was a banner year for Christmas specials. We taped and still watch every year. Oh yeah. 
I literally still have a VHS tape that's labeled Christmas Specials 1987 with no means of playing it, but I will keep it forever. Oh, yeah, that's that's the mother load. That's like Muppet Family Christmas and Claymation. Pee-wee was that year? Was that Pee-wee? No, that was 88. No, Pee-wee oh, was, was uh, Pee-wee was 88, but, but Claymation and Garfield were another back-to-back pair. Yeah, that's five right there, and I could keep going, but I won't. <laughs> um... After watching this again, it was very clear to me that this had to have been an idea that they wanted as a pilot. Something like that, or it just either that or remember how they used to just do movies of the week where it's like, oh, we have time on the lot. We need to do something for this slot. And they would be like, here's um, what's his name? The guy who played Archie Bunker, Carol O'Connor. And here is also starring a uh, red Fox for some reason. <laughs> and somebody's homeless. And then it wraps up in an hour and it's a feel good kind of thing. Like it has that kind of air. So if it wasn't specifically a property, it was like, it was the movie of the week kind of like, just, just take some time. We, we have ad bucks to sell. <laughs> yeah. They could have stretched this out into an hour and made it some like the, the wonderful world of Disney or something like that. It is fascinating, though, because it's like you're coming in in the middle of a conversation. Like, yeah. Oh, 100 percent. That weird premise at you like, yeah, sure. Just this is what we're going with. It's a mystery. Just roll with it. Animated mouse. Go. Yeah. We, all we have is this one off special where a famous novelist is solving real life mysteries with her friend and a talking mouse. And none of that is explained. No context whatsoever. Nope. But. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning. And if you want to watch A Mouse of Mystery and Me, we found a copy on YouTube. It's decent enough quality for, well, when this was uploaded, it was a 25-year-old tape. It's now closer to 35. Gosh, I feel so young and fresh right now. (laughs) (laughs) So we open with a young boy walking into a department store to see Santa Claus and this department store Santa Claus is played by Dick Van Patten. Do you remember me? You brought me that wind-up train last year. Oh, oh, yes, yes, of course. Who is not Carol O'Connor? Who is not Carol <laughs> O'Connor, but I recognized him immediately. I recognize him, but it's funny. Like, I remember obviously watching this when it from when it aired, and I was like, what, like maybe four or five. And I never like thought about, oh, this is somebody I should know until Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> because that part where he's speaking Cantonese, Sandra, and he's this Dick Van Patten. And I'm like, who is this guy? I should know him. And then he was in like, he had his cameo at the end of Robin Hood Men in Tights. And I'm like, right. I feel like this is something I missed out on by not being Gen X. <laughs> I can't. Well, speaking of uh, men in tights, so in uh, in Dick Van Patten's filmography, this is just after Spaceballs and just before he was in The New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking. Nice. And according to IMDb, this is the first of three times Dick Van Patten has played Santa on TV. And here's a little teaser. I'm doing another one later this season. <laughs> I wrote that and then I don't remember what it is. So (laughs) he is one of those guys who like for people our age has just been perpetually old or was perpetually old. So yeah, he was built in to, you know, be a special guest star Santa Claus. Yeah, really. And here he puts up a sign saying he'll be back soon. He has to go feed the reindeer. 
It's time for his lunch break, and we see him rush out of there before the boy can get a chance to sit with him. So this kid walks away disappointed looking while we follow Santa to a back hallway to learn he's actually the co-owner of this store. But he's still credited as Santa in the credits. So I'm thinking, oh, is this going to be like Miracle on 34th Street where he may or may not be the real Santa? No, they make it pretty clear later that he's not actually Santa. Heck, they made it pretty clear now because he takes off his beard and talks to his fellow co-owner. He's just a jolly, generous millionaire. He sure is. Like all those that exist. (laughs) (laughs) He's talking to his fellow co-owner, who is Sam Hall. He is played by Lloyd Bachner. George, you're half-owner of this store. How are you going to go on doing this two-bit Santa Claus thing? I like it, Sam. I really have to talk to you. Do either of you know Lloyd Bachner from anything else? Doesn't ring a bell for me. I can think of, you know. He is probably best known to our generation from Batman the Animated Series. He voiced the mayor of Gotham City. (laughs) Okay. Nice. He was also a regular on Dynasty for a few, the first few seasons. But I have actually mentioned Lloyd Bachner on this podcast before. He was in Lamb Chop's special Hanukkah as himself. Oh, OK. Yeah, uh, he is Jewish. He, he's the one Jewish guest Cherry Lewis invited. <laughs> to a Hanukkah special, no less. <laughs> to a Hanukkah special. Here he is, Sam Hall, the co-owner of the Crandall Hall department store in whatever city this is supposed to be. So Santa is Crandall, who has to talk to Sam about something. But Sam apparently has to take an urgent phone call from his dentist. He mentions his teeth killing him. And I don't think that ever comes up again. But we see him, like, hold his mouth throughout the rest of his appearances here. They do touch on it later, but it's it's not that big of a... If it had never been mentioned, you wouldn't have had any idea. Right. Yeah, it never becomes a plot point. It's just the through line for his character, a guy with toothache. Yeah, (laughs) that's how they write this character, is too busy to have lunch with his partner right now. And at first it seems like he's blowing Santa off, but he does show concern asking, what do you need to talk about? And Crandall just tells him, I'll catch you later. And he puts his beard back on because he's apparently going on his lunch break, still dressed as Santa. (laughs) Just, like, imagine going to Disney World and Cinderella's just sitting outside one of the quick service places eating a cheeseburger. (laughs) I love that. The idea that he's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm Santa, but I'm at the department store, so obviously I'm just going to mill around with my public while I eat my corn dog. Right. It's a pretty awesome place wherever they are because, you know, they just let children wander around downtown unaccompanied going to department stores. Right. It doesn't look like a big city, but like it doesn't look like a small one either. This movie is so like it's so specific to the era with so many little things like that of like, yeah, you couldn't even imagine some of these things existing or occurring now. And that is a prime example. (laughs) No, like my oldest is about, well, by the time this airs, she'll be 13 and that'll mean, you know, and like, I'm not ready to just let her wander around any downtown area nearby us, let alone this one here. Just, oh yeah, I got no school. It's a Saturday. I'm going to go to the store and meet Santa by myself. And this kid spots Santa and follows him to a nearby park bench where he asks, hey, do you remember me? You brought me that wind-up train last year. This boy's name is Stevie, and he is played by a kid named Bobby Beckin, 
I say a kid like he's not in his 40s now, but also when we first follow him into that store, I thought this was young Ethan Embry. It is not, but it's a dead ringer for him. Yeah. Yeah, I I see that. (laughs) But his name's Bobby Beckon. He's only got a handful of other credits on either side of this. Uh, He's better known as a voice on the cartoon Babar. He was Babar's son, Palm. I recognize him from, um, I don't know if either of you ever watched the live action Ramona Quimby series, like the one from Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah, I haven't watched that since it aired. Yeah, I I checked him out and I'm like, I saw that. I'm like, oh my, as soon as I heard the character name Howie, I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of remember like him being like the irritating kid or some (laughs) kid that was around enough for you heard them say his name enough. Uh, But here, as he reminds Santa, his name is Stevie Mumford, and Santa plays it off like, yes, that's right. And he takes out a little red notebook and he goes, yes, and you live at. uh..." And this kid gives Santa his address. Kids, don't (laughs) give Santa your address. He either has it on file for later or don't give Santa your address. I feel like a bank. The real Santa will never ask you for your address or password. (laughs) When you give Santa your address, make sure you use a couple uppercase, lowercase, few numbers, (laughs) a special symbol. (laughs) But Stevie tells him where he lives and Santa jots it down in his notebook. They explain it later, but still, there are better ways to explain that later. Uh, We'll get there for now. Santa asks Stevie what's on his list this year, and Stevie tells him he wants his dad to come home for Christmas because he can't afford the trip from wherever he is. He also adds his sister wants a doll, and Santa tells him he'll do the best he can. Like, he can't afford it. We don't know if it's he's working away or, you know, he just, like, his car broke down and he's stuck in Wichita. Like, we have no <laughs> idea why he... Yeah, and I swear to God, I thought I remember them saying later on in the show, oh, like his dad's deployed. And I'm like, at no other point do they mention if he's in the military. Like, it, it was just very strange. It was, I, I guess they needed like better motivation for the kid. I uh. Sure. Yeah, I need dad to come home. He's not dressed in military outfit when he gets home. Spoiler, dad gets home. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like the least consequential part of the whole special, even though that should be like the emotional linchpin. (laughs) They mention it here and when that happens. But here's what happens in between. We see Santa's mind wander elsewhere and let out an exasperated sigh. So Stevie asks, what's wrong? And Santa just starts venting to this kid. It's just so sad when someone that's close to you is, is dishonest. And Stevie and I give a look like, what? And I think Santa realizes this and perks up a bit, tells him, oh, that's not your problem. What do you say you and I get hot dogs? And of course, Stevie's in. Lunch with Santa? Yes. Boy, he's feeling like a VIP. (laughs) Yeah, really. He's an easy sell. Like, he wants actually his father and he gets a hot dog. From Santa. (laughs) With Santa. This is my friend Santa. We're going to get lunch together. What did you do today? (laughs) Santa says he'll go get it and asks gobs of relish and mustard, right? And at first, Stevie tells him, yeah, and then realizes, wait a minute, I don't want mustard. So he runs to tell Santa this only to turn the corner and see some guys pull up in a black van and kidnap the Santa Claus. (laughs) And they peel out of there. 
while we cut to the home of our titular mouse and our titular me. The house, I'm assuming, belongs to renowned author Jill Roberts, who is played by Darcy Marta. Why I ever let a mouse talk me into being his writing partner? She's got about a dozen credits on IMDb, mostly in the 80s and 90s. The one screenshot they have is of Darcy in an episode of MacGyver. She was in a couple of indie films by Greg Araki, his first film, Three Bewildered People in the Night, and one called The Living End, or as Wikipedia tells me it's described, Gay Thelma and Louise. (laughs) So Thelma and Louise, kind of. (laughs) Gay male Thelma and Louise, then. Okay. (laughs) And this happened in between those two things, but... A friend of the show, Jerry Davila, actually tracked her down. She is now an acting coach and a hypnotherapist outside of San Francisco. So she's doing all right. Good for Darcy. Yeah. And here she's Jill, who is the public face of a series of mystery novels that are actually ghost written by a talking mouse named Alex. Assume that he's entirely ghost writing. It's like a Ratatouille situation. Or are they writing partners? It seems to be a partnership, but I think Jill's more of an editor in this role, but she gets her name put on the book because apparently no one would believe that. Like, I guess Alex doesn't have a full name. I guess he's just Alex T. Mouse or whatever. And he is a fully animated mouse superimposed onto live action film. Like, you know, that movie Anchors Away where Gene Kelly dances with Jerry from Tom and Jerry for like two minutes. Mm-hmm, very much that. It's that, but a much, much smaller budget. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that, like, he makes special uh, mention of the fact that they're very successful because they're raking in so much money, yet he's still dressed like a Dickensian orphan. <laughs> <laughs> Again, wearing spats. Yeah, the mouse <laughs> has spats. <laughs> and fingerless gloves, which is the international symbol. <laughs> Yeah. He just needs a bindle. It's a mouse thing. <laughs> it's mouse fashion, I guess. Certainly. Speaking of mouse fashion, I don't know if any of or either of you noticed this or it rang some nostalgia bells. In the bedroom, there's that poster on the back of the door that says Miami Mike. <laughs> and I swear <laughs> to God, I remember seeing it, I think, even in um, the Lost Boys in Corey Hames' room. And like, I feel like that was a thing I saw a few times and kept thinking like, oh, that has to be related to like a property, like a TV show or a comic. But it just seems to be like a weird gimmick. Like, is is that thing familiar to anyone else or am I insane? <laughs> My only touch point of Miami Mice is that I swear it was a segment on Sesame Street. Like, I remember Muppet Miami Mice. I'm I'm looking it up now. Yeah, I'm frantically Googling. Comes up on the Muppet Wiki. It's on Muppet Wiki, and it's just the recurring sketch features two fashion-conscious mouse detectives, Tito and JP. Okay, well, no one's crazy, but they mu- it must just be like, it looks like a shirt you would buy on the boardwalk. 100%. Yeah. And I guess also a poster, but... <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that's like sold next to the Black Bart Simpson grabbing his crotch or something. <laughs> <laughs> So this special was produced by Ruby Spear. So that's who's behind the animation. So it's pretty decent. 
we get a little exposition here to explain why there's a talking cartoon mouse, but not a lot. I did love when they introduced him. He's like literally at a keyboard just in case we didn't get the impression like he's legitimately doing the writing. He's not just like a Jiminy Cricket figure or or her muse. Right. No, no. He's the brains of this outfit. And the voice of Alex is Donald O'Connor. Because our mystery novels make megabucks. Besides, you're the one who gets all the credit. Hey, you were the one who wanted to remain anonymous, remember? Anonymous Mouse, in my case. Who would want to read a whodunit written by a rodent? Y'all probably know Donald O'Connor from Singing in the Rain. He was Cosmo the piano player in Singing in the Rain. He's the one doing all the backflips off the wall. Yeah, make him laugh. My favorite scene ever in a movie. Yeah. See, it is like Anchors Away. (laughs) (laughs) Also here in Jill's writing room is her friend Amy who is played by Dinah Gaston. Entrez-vous! There's a boy here to see you. A boy? You mean a hunk. This is her earliest credit on IMDb. She was also a recurring character on a Disney Channel show I remember but never watched called Danger Bay. Oh, God, that takes me back. That was (laughs) one of those things that you'd see it in the, the promos between whatever they aired. Oh, yeah. All the time. It's like, oh, Danger Bay at seven. And then I would seven o'clock would come and I'd never watch it. Just like, nope, it's dinner time. And I don't know if y'all had this same experience, but Amy and Jill both look young enough to pass for older teenagers. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, they, the fact that one owns a house, it was a little surprising. Well, I couldn't tell if it was like someone's about to enter her writing room here. And I didn't know if that was her mother or her grandmother or just like, a landlady or a maid? I didn't know the function of this woman. I Yeah, I thought it was their landlady and that they just had an apartment. But I was also confused by the fact that there are at least two references to them being teenagers. Yet at the same time, she is a famous enough writer that she people recognize her by her face. Yeah. <laughs> context of the show. And at first I'm thinking, oh, this is her bedroom. But no, it's just a writing room. There's there's no bed that I can see. It's a desk and there's paper everywhere. And there's like they they're printing this latest novel or script for it on one of those dot matrix printers where all the papers uh, tied together and you got to tear off the edges. But yeah, it's an older woman at the door. I know what she is. She's exposition. She's exposition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to explain that there is a boy here and there is the reason why he even knows you exist. Yeah, no. She explains little Stevie is there to see Jill. Stevie's mother does their ironing. So maybe this woman's not their housekeeper if they have someone doing their ironing. But this is the sort of thing that would become clear if they actually made this a series. But it's also the sort of thing you want to establish in your pilot. (laughs) Whoever she is, this woman is played by Helen Hughes, who also played Billy Madison's second grade teacher. <laughs> that was the spelling bee scene. And he, I forget what he's spelling. Couch. But he, he guesses, are you going to the mall later? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever she is, she tells Jill there's a boy here to see her. And Amy immediately reacts. Oh, you mean a hunk? Yeah, that was really weird. Amy is peak 1987 young woman sidekick here. She's got the side ponytail. She's got the oversized sweater with Marilyn Monroe on it. But the older woman explains little Stevie is anxious to talk to Jill, who asks 
about what? And Stevie runs into the room, says, Someone, Someone stole, stole Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. And we cut to commercial. And the copy we watched includes the commercial breaks. Yeah, it's some really quality commercials, too. Yeah, really. It's a Christmas special from 1987. So, of course, it's sponsored by McDonald's. And we get the Star Wish one with Birdie and Grimace. I love that. Personally, I was excited for the Huffle Up. Puffalumps in the second part. The Puffalumps! Yeah. We don't have enough commercials that are just like, they have a storyline but no points. We don't get that anymore like we did with McDonald's back in the day. No, we really don't. We also get that commercial with the 7-Up Elves. That's one of my favorites. But I was excited to see the wild Puffalumps. I just want to back up to like Stevie's motivation that he sees Santa Claus kidnapped and his like logic train is... Okay, I will go to the teenage mystery writer who does who mom does laundry for. She can fix this. He doesn't trust the cops. <laughs> Steve is a smart kid. He <laughs> don't talk to cops. So he contacted his local mystery novelist. In the murder she wrote fashion, obviously. That's right. <laughs> I, it, honestly, even that house they're in looks like it was a used set from Murder She Wrote. It- does jessica's going to visit her friend down the coast somewhere (laughs) yeah she must be doing very well with this cartoon mouse's mystery stories because she lives in this place you know where all the rich people live but they all seem to constantly get murdered yeah (laughs) never seem to leave (laughs) (laughs) well this woman walks stevie back downstairs and we never see her again (laughs) maybe she's a ghost That was supposed to be for episode two. Jill lives in a haunted house with a ghost and a talking mouse, and her best friend is just cool with it. She is thinking about hunks. She's thinking about hunks. (laughs) But after those two leave, Alex comes out and says he wants to look into this because it's Christmas Eve and a child is unhappy. How could they say no? So he hops into Jill's purse and off they go with Stevie to the Crandall Hall department store, only to find that Santa has returned from his reindeer feeding break. But it's not the same Santa, and Stevie recognizes that. He explains he saw the real Santa. This is a different guy. So Jill decides to go talk to someone, and Mr. Hall is here, along with, I guess, the store manager. Her name is Martine Hatcher, she introduces herself, and she's played by Laura Press. You're Jill Roberts, aren't you? I'm Martine Hatcher, and this is Mr. Hall, our vice president. How do you do? We sell a lot of her books here. She's a character actress. I couldn't find a lot about her, but she was apparently a recurring character on Kung Fu. The legend continues as a doctor, so I'm sure I've seen her before. All I know is she's wearing Janeway's original hair and like the 49ers <laughs> like shoulder pads yeah, holy re- crap yeah. yeah i just paused it and my god those are some shoulder pads like it looks like she's wearing the stop making sense suit <laughs> you mentioned janeway she was in a couple of episodes of earth final conflict here she immediately recognizes jill which means she's a recognizable in public famous which is rare for an author yeah, you know, in the in the eighties, who did you have that was like a famous author? You had like Stephen King, of course, but he was like in his coke phase, so yeah. you know, hit or miss there. And then who else would it have been? Like, I think Agatha Christie was dead at that point. <laughs> yeah, 
Maybe Danielle Steele? I don't know. Yeah, but I still don't know what Danielle Steele looks like. <laughs> I just kind of imagine somebody who just walked out of Dynasty and just has never changed <laughs> in the 40 years since then. Well, this one's next to Lloyd Bachner, who was in Dynasty, so. <laughs> Gently cradling his jaw in case we forget he's got a toothache. Yes. But Jill asks if that's the same Santa they've always had, and Martine tells her it's the store's co-owner, Mr. Crandall. We know that's a lie, but Jill doesn't, so she doesn't think anything of it at first. So she tells Stevie, it looks like everything's okay. And the kid reluctantly starts to leave, but quickly tells Jill again, But I still don't think that's him. So after the kid leaves, Jill notices this Santa is wearing sneakers under spats that look like boots. Spats again. Martine told her Mr. Crandall has his own costume, and Jill figures that would include real boots if he's the owner of this successful department store. So she asks Alex to take a closer look. She lets him out of her purse onto a model train set that's on display. So we get that fun little scene of, look, the cartoon character's riding on a real thing. You gotta justify the budget so that we can give these kids a sense of wonder. Hop on that train, mouse. That's right. It was cute. (laughs) Alex is going to take that over to Santa instead of scurrying across the floor of a crowded department store on Christmas Eve. Again, we keep running this in the TV specials. Why did this line of kids wait until Christmas Eve to see Santa? I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, w- I would think even for Christmas Eve that they'd be like closing the store earlier or there'd be a lot more last minute shoppers. But uh, everyone seems uh, pretty chill about it. Yeah, no, I feel like they'd be leaving the store open late. But still, when it's when they actually do close the store in a bit, I think it's still daylight outside. Yeah, my parents would have been telling me that Santa was like, he, you know, he had a job to do. He wouldn't still be at a department store at that point. Right. If you're tracking Santa online now, he's already in the air. Yeah. (laughs) He's already over like the Middle East somewhere. But I guess if there's a Santa out at the store and I happen to be there with my kids, okay, sure, let's go say hi to Santa. But from an I know how this works perspective, the real Santa is already in flight. Uh, The fake spats over the boots, like that's one of those... uh sort of watershed moments of maybe this is all fake. This man has fake shoes on. It's kind of like realizing the beard's fake. And you're like, am I being lied to? Hey. When was the first time either of you spotted a fake beard on Santa? Oh, goodness. I mean, pretty early, but I was a very, I I I was a gullible kid, but I also like, I was just willing to suspend belief really hard for a really long time. So at some point it was just explained like, well, the Santa's you go see aren't the real Santa. They're just his helpers. So fake beard. I was like, yeah, it's not the real guy. I don't mind. Yeah. I never had that realization moment. But at one point, my mom kind of revealed to me that like the Santa that would come to our parties was one of dad's friends. And then when I recognized, oh, I know who you are now. That was my realization moment that that's not your real beard. You don't have a beard. So Alex sneaks up to Santa and he notices those fake boot cover-up spats have a tag that reads property of Rent-A-Santa with an address. And he goes to tell Jill, but Santa unknowingly steps on his tail. And I'm thinking right here he's going to be noticed and we're going to get eek a mouse. But no, he gets free and kisses his mangled tail and that's it. 
they don't have the money for a chase scene like that this early in the film. No, but they needed to justify like, look, make the mouse do more things. <laughs> yeah, this special was light on like mouse puns, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They also had this weird, I, I noticed they kind of tried to like, for a, a universe that there is a talking cartoon mouse, there was no like Looney Tune-esque escapades he got into. Like, his tail getting all bent up was about as rubber face as you saw. Yeah. Whereas usually you get a cartoon in a situation like that, and they're, like, wacky and bouncing and blowing themselves up and all that <laughs> stuff. Budget wasn't that good. <laughs> so he runs off. We cut straight to the Rent-A-Santa Company, which has a cute sign outside that says, Established 1979 A.D. Oh, thank you for clarifying. It would be really weird if it was before Christmas. <laughs> I like the fact that there's just like a year long store to get like weird scummy looking dudes to play Santa right. at a moment's notice. Inside the owner, I don't have a name for this actor, but he looks like he hasn't changed his suit since 1979 AD. This guy's given the most and trying his hardest to pretend like he's in like a noir. Oh, yeah. He's wearing a brown plaid suit jacket and a matching fedora, big gaudy ring on his finger holding the phone. Was he smoking a big stogie or does he just seem like he should be? I don't think he was. But yeah, it like if I had to draw him from memory, he's totally got a big stogie. Yeah. <laughs> and not like smoking it actively, just using it to gesture with. Yeah, yeah just, just <laughs> with the hand. It's in like in between two of his fingers while he's on the phone. <laughs> Telling Jill and Amy, I ain't telling no one, no names of who orders my boys. Those are my confidential business contacts. He's Renta Santa's pimp. <laughs> Which, sure, I appreciate the respect of the privacy of both your employees and your clients. But when you word it like that, it sounds suspicious. Yeah, like why? Like what is the secrecy here? It's not like it's his little black book. Right. So and here's where the interaction with Alex loses some believability for me, because she starts whispering to him in her purse right in the middle of this office lobby. With only like three other people, too. So it's not like there is enough noise to block any of this out. Right. And they're right there. Both the owner and a couple of guys half dressed in Santa outfits waiting for like the call, like they're firefighters. Getting called to the big show. Yeah. Uh, purse acting in this special when they didn't want to animate the mouse. Yeah, they do. They don't have like a little model or anything. She just kind of peeks into her purse. She was walking. So all the Marvel and CGI actors that have to talk to like tennis balls could run. That's right. <laughs> they all study this, this special just to see how it's done. See, this is how a real actor does it. But no one's paying attention. So they don't need to go find a quieter corner. Not worried about it. Jill tasks Alex with sneaking behind this guy's desk to get a closer look at some of the order sheets that are hanging on some clips behind him. So we get more fun animation of Alex jumping on piles of things to climb up there while Jill and Amy distract the owner. They tell him they're just looking to hire a Santa. Let's see what I got. Well, we do have a few special requirements. Requirements? Um, well, it's, it's for a, a teenage party, you know, so uh, he, he has to dance. Like Michael Jackson. Get out of here. I find it funny that Michael Jackson was the thing that set him off as being like the thing that was too much rather than going, 
why are two teenagers trying to hire Santa for a teenage party that's happening after today, which happens to be Christmas Eve? <laughs> right. Because at first he's listening. He said, we want to hire Santa. Okay, go on. But then she says, "But so he's got to dance like Michael Jackson for some teenagers, and something about that makes this guy tell him, get out of here. What, who doesn't want a moonwalking Santa at their party? But the girls leave. Alex has now been knocked off the shelf where the orders were hanging. But he does listen as the owner calls whoever hired this particular Santa and warned them. Yeah, I just had a couple of small dames in here asking about your order. I love how extra the dialogue is. <laughs> really? We see Alex cup his ear and listen closely to the touch tones as the owner dialed the phone number so he can remember the tones, which is very impressive. So I tried to listen to. It definitely started with 555 because they all do. Sure. It's like only three numbers because there's two repeating patterns after that. Yeah. Uh, I had the Internet help me out with what tones sound like because I don't know offhand. But my best guess using that was that the number was 555-9191. That sounds about right. I swear to God, I tried to dial that myself as a kid trying to figure <laughs> out what the, heck the number was. Just trial and error. I'm going to find out. Exactly what everyone wants is a five-year-old consistently dialing. <laughs> yeah, really. But Alex has to sound it out for Jill, who calls it on a payphone. I'm out of She gives it a minute and then hangs up. And Amy, who's bad at guessing, guesses. Let me guess. He was calling his big squeeze, Princess Di. Amy sucks. <laughs> Amy sucks. <laughs> Just like, I know pop culture things. I'm a teenager. Or maybe I'm not. You'll never know. <laughs> I don't know who's writing Amy's lines. No one has ever talked like this. Every dialogue they wasted on Amy being a cliche, maybe teenager, they could have spent on mouse puns. I'm just saying. They could have spent on mouse puns. We get <laughs> one at the beginning where he says, I prefer to remain anonymous mouse. That's it. <laughs> Peaks too early. <laughs> but it turns out, the 555 number is to the office of Mr. Sam Hall. So back we go to the department store, which is about to close early on Christmas Eve. It's a department store, but they try to find Martine, the manager. We see her walk into a corner office and close the door. So Jill and Amy listen at the door using some conveniently nearby glass cups. It turns out it is Sam Hall's office, and he's in there with Martine, and I guess their accountant who is alerting them of a cash shortage of over $500,000 that he just happened to notice on Christmas Eve. Didn't you know that's when all uh, accountants run all their books and audit? That's right. That's their late night. <laughs> the glass on the door scene was the first one that really pinged for me. as like, yes, this is why I remember this, because I remember like that image. It's also where I completely lost the plot of what was happening. <laughs> and then I was like, who's that? I don't understand. I still don't know. <laughs> but right now, Amy concludes that Sam must be stealing from his own store. And that's why he doesn't want Crandall around. 
But they continued to listen. Sam, you're not suggesting that Mr. Crandall would have anything to do with it. Every year this time he gives away ridiculous amounts to some charity affair. Well, that's probably where he is right now. Well, isn't he downstairs playing Santa? I was just there. It's not him. Well, he didn't get back from lunch. I had to hire someone. No, you didn't. It's Christmas Eve. Hey, they have an entire store. An entire store. Those sleazy guys ready to t- to be Santa at a moment's notice. That's right. They're waiting <laughs> by the door. <laughs> Two of them. Just emergency Santas. <laughs> ready at a moment's notice. That's how that guy stays in business. They have like like a red and green colored Ecto-1 just ready to pull out. <laughs> they aren't allowed to leave. They just sleep there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, they should have they should have fire poles installed on the rent of Santa place. <laughs> I'm just imagining their Santa costumes looking like Barney Gumbles from The Simpsons, where it looks like he's been wearing it for like a month and it's got stains on it and the beard is like gray. <laughs> well, these didn't look too far from that now that you mention it, but whirlwind. So Sam says the store is now closed, so he reminds Martine to turn on the alarm system. While he puts some jewelry that happens to be in a briefcase just lying out on his desk into a vault. Yeah, that that's a real like odd one. Like I'm just gonna sit up in my boardroom in office and look at my jewels. Like I do every night. Right. In a briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> He's Scrooge McDuck counting his jewels. Special Christmas jewels. That's right. <laughs> just the red ones. It's like he's living by Freddy Got Fingered rules. Like, I need the jewels. <laughs> There's a reference I wasn't expecting, ever. <laughs> Nobody expects Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> so Martine offers, I'll put away the jewels for you. But Sam says, no, I'm on my way out. And they all head to the door, which is Jill and Amy's cue to find somewhere to hide quickly. They opt for the coat closet. And Sam does the thing where he reaches for his coat while talking, so he's not actually looking into the closet to get his coat. Yes, the the coat being thrust at him in his periphery is not mysterious at all, nor is the door that clearly closes while they're all standing there. No, and Sam does a double take after Amy closed the door, but he's in too much of a rush to find Crandall now, so they just leave and don't question it. That's why... Toothache. He was so distracted that he didn't notice that he didn't question the door. Right. He's still holding his his jaw this whole time. <laughs> He's holding his jaw like he has a toothache, but it's the, the actual problem is he needs dentures. Dentures, yeah. He does now. <laughs> so here Jill realizes, wait, now they're getting away with a briefcase full of jewels. So they see Sam go down an elevator and they try to beat him by going down the stairs. But when the elevator opens on the lower level, no one gets out. And it's commercial time again. A mouse, a mystery, and me will return after these messages. Seven up as the feeling of Christmas. Goofy glasses, 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 goofy glasses,
When the burn months set in and the nights start to get crisp, do you feel what I feel? Hi, I'm Ashley, and I'm the voice behind the Magic of the Season podcast, where we talk nostalgia, holiday history, movies, music, and of course, the big man himself. If you want to turn on something that brings you warmth, comfort, and cheer, then you're in the right place. I'm available on all podcast platforms such as Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. Follow me for some festive fun on my Instagram at the Magic of the Season Podcast. Now grab your hot cocoa, get cozy, because it's story time. Now back to a mouse, a mystery, and me. And when we return after those messages, the elevator opens up again behind Jill and Amy. Again, no one's inside, but Jill spots Mr. Crandall's red notebook where he wrote Stevie's name and address. So that must mean he's somewhere in the store. So now they go to find Martine and show it to her. She asks him why he would still be here in the store and where. What I expected her to ask them was, why are you still in the store? We're closed. (laughs) Exactly. Like, oh, there's just teens in my store after hours. That's totally fine. Yeah. Are they teens? No one knows. They don't question it because she's a famous mystery writer. Right. Yeah. We sell a lot of your books and I recognize you in public. (laughs) She can go anywhere and do anything. Except ask about Santa. But close, but not locked yet, apparently, because the store security guard comes in now and lets Martine know he's about to do that now. This guard's name is Jerry. He is played... By Francis Damberger. Excuse me, Miss Hatcher. I'm locking up for the night. Anything you need before I leave? In a minute, Jerry. I'll just be out here. Wikipedia tells me he's a Canadian writer and director who is best known for his own 1991 film, Solitaire, which I am not familiar with, but it has a single user review on IMDb that calls it perhaps the best Canadian-made film ever. So he wrote that is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) he wrote it he's the sole star of solitaire that's it but here martine tells jill and amy they could go check the jewelry vault she goes to get a key and that means it's safe for alex to come out of hiding now he's not convinced sam has run off with those jewels remember sam was complaining about his teeth this whole time that sam could be all the way to south america by now maybe not People in pain waiting for new choppers don't run off to Brazil, leaving their false teeth behind. But for now, Alex has to hide again because Martine is back with the key. She asks Jerry, the security guard, to take the girls to the jewelry vault to check it out quickly. Write something down on a sticky note that she gives to Jerry as her authorization to enter the vault. And he escorts the girls out. I find it funny that like, (laughs) and this is another one of those things where like, this is clearly just so specific to the time it was made. The idea that you would just let random people in off the street. And I mean, I know that it doesn't matter that they're solving a mystery. They don't know that at that time. Like 
just these two girls that just showed up in your stores after hours and are like, yeah, we're going to let you into our locked vault that has jewelry and all this valuable stuff in there. Right. Like, who would ever do that? And then on top of the fact that, like, they, like she's like, oh, it's my authorization to, like, for paperwork. It's like, if they're just letting randos look at your goods and money, like, why would they even have a paper trail that sort of thing? Clearly, they're fine with it. Well, we'll explain that in a second, but yeah, no, that's a good point. And just, oh, this successful author whose books we sell wants to play detective for real. Get out of my store. I just want to point out that Martine's desk has three stuffed rabbits, a pound puppy, and a framed picture of a man from, it looks like, 1945. I thought it was Dick Van Patten. I thought it was his desk. (laughs) Because I think that's his picture. I could be wrong, but yeah, it looks like an old picture. Yeah, it looks like the sort of photo that you'd see on like an old 50s game show panel with a, like where they're still sponsored by a cigarette company. <laughs> right, yeah. It's in the back of the Wheel of Fortune showcase. Just, we got to put stuff on this desk to make it look used. Oh, I'll take that desk. Here's what you could put on it. But anyway, Martine returns to the back room where she got the key, leaving Alex alone to do his own investigating. And the first thing he does is he wants to find out what Martine wrote on that sticky note. And there's an ashtray on the desk because it's the 80s. Kids, not only did a lot of people still smoke cigarettes, they could just do so wherever they wanted. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember going to a mall in the 80s and they had ashtrays in the bathrooms. Oh, yeah. Depending on what mall you're going to, the ashtrays are still there. (laughs) So Alex blows the ashes onto the sticky notepad to see if he can read the imprint of the pen on the paper underneath the note Martine wrote on. And that was really clever. Yeah, uh, kids also don't do this if your parents smoke without telling them that you're going to do that because it's going to get them very mad. I only know from experience. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well, in this case... It turns out that what Martine actually wrote on that sticky note was lock them up. Lock them up. Girls, wait. So it wasn't Sam or Mr. Crandall stealing from the store. It was Martine. And it looks like Jerry, the security guard, was in on it, too. So now Alex runs out of the office to go find the girls. Heads downstairs to run into a cat. Whoa. Now, look, let's talk. A real cat that swats at him. Because, you know, all department stores, just like garden centers and other things with vermin, love having cats around. Right. So we get a chase scene. I don't know if it's Jerry's cat, because it's not like we're about to find out where Jerry's going. He's not bringing this cat. (laughs) It's Dick Van Patten's cat. Dick Van Patten. (laughs) (laughs) I need someone to name their cat that now. <laughs> this is uh, this is the look what we can do with animation portion of the special. Alex hops into a toy fire truck on display under a Christmas tree and speeds through the store like Gremlins. I thought the same thing, too, when I saw it. It reminded me of both Gremlins movies, actually. <laughs> yeah, especially because this one's got a squirt gun on the back that he fires at the cat so it stops chasing him. Meanwhile, Jerry opens some storage space that is clearly not a jewelry vault 
And all that's inside is Misters Crandall and Hall tied up with their mouths gagged. Martine and I would like to thank you for the nice Christmas bonus. Happy holidays. And locks up the girls with the two store owners. Well, the classic trope of the like the bad guy that's like, I'm going to explain all of my plans to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Itemize my crimes. Don't run out of oxygen in this storage vault I'm about to lock you in because I'm going to murder you now. But passably. Yeah, he says that air's got to last, but like, it's just a garage door? Yes. <laughs> it's not airtight. It's just a freight room. If you were in an actual jewelry vault, there might be some concern, but... Yeah, it's just like a pull-down door. There's no seal. So Alex runs back to the office, has to pretend to be one of those stuffed animals on the desk that you mentioned earlier, and Martine comes out from that back room with a big old bag of money. And those shoulder pads still on under that jacket. That also begs the question of what does Alex look like to these people? Like, yeah. Animated, but does he just look like a mouse? Does he look like a stuffed animal? Like if she had caught him, what is she looking at? It's a realistic looking mouse. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a mouse wearing clothes. Here's when Martine notices there's a stuffed mouse on the desk. She doesn't remember seeing before and gives a little poke, thinks nothing else of it. That's composure by Alex. Thankfully, he's not ticklish. I just want to know how many things come and go from her desk where she doesn't think anything of a mouse appearing on it after hours. That's why I'm wondering if that's Dick Van Patten's desk, because I thought that was a photo of him on it, which why do you have a photo of yourself on your desk? So I don't know. It's her dad. <laughs> I don't remember that one on my own desk, or maybe it's not, but it's an office I'm frequently in because I have a key for it. But here's where uh, security Jerry returns to let Martine know everyone's locked up, puts the key in his coat pocket in a way that leaves it dangling out just a bit so Alex can see it and no other reason because no one puts their key in their pocket like that. Especially if you just kidnapped someone. You want to be extra careful with your keys if you're a kidnapper. Yeah, it's the most obviously bad like use of a pocket ever. It's like, I guess I'll just kind of half shove this in here. Oop, whatever. It's Chekhov's dangling key. But no, it's not because Alex <laughs> doesn't get it. He never gets the key. He's he's uh, totally fine just letting them suffocate. Yeah, that, yeah well. <laughs> he wants all the credit for his books now. The, ooh, that's it. <laughs> that would have been a turn. I'm no longer a non-mouse. But here's where Jerry grabs Martine and they start kissing before they go to catch their plane to wherever they're running off to. I'm more the way they need a passport because that was clearly out on her desk. Yeah, there's been a passport out. Yeah, it's got to be her desk if that passport's been out there. We saw that before we realized that uh, that she was behind it while she was writing that lock em up note. But here's when Alex tries to sneak over and take the key. He misses and then looks around the desk to see what else he can do. And he finds a toy gun that he drops into the bag of money while nobody's looking. Because everybody has a toy gun on their desk. This is America. Come on. It's a department store. I figured toy store. I don't know. I visualize it in my head like it's the desk from Big. They just have toys on their desks. <laughs> So Jerry takes the bag and the two head to the airport, thinking they got away. But first, they have to go through security. And hey, look, there's a gun in this bag. 
this is another moment where I like, I don't know if I got distracted or I lost the plot, but like I missed the two seconds or something. And I was like, how did the mask get a gun? <laughs> Nobody move. <laughs> it's just a dirty, hairy gun. <laughs> it is. Well, this is a year before the federal government ordered that a toy gun had to clearly look like a toy. Oh, yeah. So this just looks like a real gun. I forgot about that, how they went, you had to have them be in like bright colors and stuff like that. They even like mentioned that in Airheads, the Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> yes, it's a plastic gun. <laughs> <laughs> the clearest example for me is the Nintendo Zapper suddenly was orange instead of gray. I had a gray one. And then when my friend got one a year later, his was bright orange. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember the seeing orange uh, the zapper guns because I had the gray one as well. And I'm like, I, I was just like, what happened? Why did these people have orange ones? Not having any clue as a child that this law existed. Well, I remember reading in one of the magazines that or, or some project I had to do, I forget. But a toy gun had to now look like a toy gun. But the toy gun Alex planted looks real and it shows up in the baggage x-ray at the airport. Sure, the gun tips off airport security and stops the two. But you know what else looks suspicious in that bag? Wads of cash. Yeah. Lots of cash when you're going to a foreign country, no less. Right. And like whoever wrote this clearly must not do much international travel because like if you were to do that and not declare it or whatever, like I think there's even a limit as to how much you could bring in anyway. Like that would be like a major issue. And this is even like pre 9-11. Oh, stuff, yeah. Too. Yeah. You can't check that either. <laughs> so I understand why it's in the carry on, but like they didn't try to carefully pack or hide their stacks of money in any way. You could have put it in a suitcase on the way to the airport. Only one of you is driving. But no, it's just in a duffel bag full of cash and also a gun that looks real. So they don't get on the plane, but we never get to see that because we immediately cut away to Stevie's house. Hey, remember him? No. <laughs> <laughs> I barely did. I'm just like, oh, yeah, there is a kid in this. We're at his house and Mr. Crandall is there as Santa. That's why he wrote down his address. He stops by to give Stevie a toy truck and Jill and Amy are there, too. We find out from Amy that. Jerry told the police everything, and they saw the key dangling out of his coat pocket, I guess. So Santa tells the girls Stevie deserves a lot of credit for seeing him get kidnapped and coming to Jill for help instead of, I don't know, the cops. Yeah, Stevie and his family are like straight up in their jammies, like opening gifts, and then Jill and Amy are just there in their coats, just standing there like, you know, specters. Good news, we saved Santa, and now he's stopping at your house. <laughs> with a teenage mystery writer that you hired with a teenage mystery writer that you hired for zero dollars who judging by their clothes came directly from the vault right to your house yeah right they didn't get changed well crandall says he hopes stevie likes the presents he bought him but unfortunately he couldn't get and he can't even finish his sentence before the doorbell rings and it's stevie's dad Daddy! A plot point I forgot. <laughs> when he opens the door, the, ca the dad goes, son, 
Like, I don't know why that's so funny to me. Instead of just saying the kid's name. Hi, son. Hi, child. Hi, uh, kiddo. Hey, boy. (laughs) Hey, sport. See, sport wouldn't even even have stuck out as much as son. Hello, son. (laughs) Stevie's dad is played by Larry Musser. He's another character actor from Canada who was also in a handful of episodes of The X-Files and The Outer Limits. As Stevie's dad, he explains he randomly found an airplane ticket in his lunchbox. It's a miracle. (laughs) And Jill asks Santa how he managed that, but he didn't, which means Jill informs Alex they've got another mystery on their hands. But Alex, who's apparently fine revealing himself in front of Mr. Crandall and Stevie's entire family, (laughs) show's over. Who cares at this point? But Alex tells Jill, No mystery whatsoever. Perfectly logical explanation. Okay, Alex, explain. There really is a Santa Claus. And that's it. That wrapped up a little too quickly, I thought. (laughs) Mr. Crandall seemed put out like, Oh, I can't give CB what he really wants. You own a department store. (laughs) (laughs) Right! I'm thinking like he should be coming in with like the end of Home Alone 2 where the whole living room's full. You can rent a sleigh and put his dad in it. Like you've got money. For real. (laughs) Well, maybe if Mr. Hogan got in on it at the same time, it would have been better. But, you know, he had to go pick up his dentures. Yeah, Yeah, he did. And he's just like, I'm going to sit this one out. My tooth's killing me. (laughs) And the dentist is closed tomorrow. (laughs) Dentist isn't working on Christmas. But I'm not sure what they should have cut to make that ending a little more clearer and show everyone get rescued or arrested. I don't know. Yeah. And like the shoehorned in like little bit of Christmas magic at the end where he's like, there really is a Santa Claus. Like, no, let's not try to blame this on Santa. (laughs) (laughs) Like if there was supposed to be like a Santa being real twist, why wasn't it that they were rescued by Santa? How'd we get out of the vault? Who knows? Must have been the magic of Christmas. <laughs> Just sleigh bells <laughs> in the sky and everybody looks up surprised. The end. <laughs> but any other final thoughts on a mouse, a mystery, and me? It has charm. It's weird. <laughs> it's like the weirdness of the lack of any explanation is the best thing it's got going for it because it's a pretty milk toast mis- mystery in general. Oh, yeah. It's a neat premise. I don't know how long a whole TV series could have run, but I feel like in the era of Murder, She Wrote, this could have had a chance. Like my first mystery kind of series. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is kid oriented. Like Murder, She Wrote, but if uh, Angela Lansbury just hung out with DJ Scat Cat. (laughs) (laughs) I might be able to edit that. Let the world hear my failure. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you both for helping me close this case. The real mystery is why there was never another one. That's, (laughs) I don't know if that's a mystery. They needed to solve the mystery of what happened to that old lady. (laughs) Yeah, she's the ghost. I'm telling you. (laughs) She became, she became a (sighs) second grade teacher and is not going to the mall later. The one other thing it has going for it is at least it's got only got like a 26 minute runtime. Yeah, it wraps up. Well, it wraps up too quickly, but like none of this dragged, which is good. 
And on that note, if people want to rent you out for a teenage party to dance like Michael Jackson, where can they find you on the internet if you wish to be found? Emily. You can find me at MLE Rally on a surprisingly large number of social media platforms now that I might or might not be still posting on by the time this goes live. Right. And Lindy. Uh, basically the same, but under I eat video games, I've got a blue sky and a Twitter that I will probably never touch again. <laughs> yeah. If it, if it even exists in like six months. <laughs> I'm just going to point you to the show notes for these links and to find me. And you can go to Advent Calendar House for all of that. And wherever else I want you to find me will be linked there. But thank you all for listening. Next up, Hanukkah is starting in a couple of nights. What revolting thing did we watch this year? Only one way to find out. Talk to you then. For now, for Lindy and Emily, live from inside your purse. This is Mike Westfall reminding you to mind the icy patch. And if you see someone stealing Santa, say something to your local mystery author. <laughs> Good night. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Alex and his friends could do anything on the basketball court, except win. Then they met Lamont. You think you can help us win? <laughs> we're not that bad. Okay, we're that bad. The newest Disney Channel original movie, inspired by a true story. <laughs> Together. You guys stop believing in yourselves. They'll discover that anything is possible. Full Court Miracle.